Hi folks, I'm Alan Water and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on May the 18th, 2011. For newcomers, look into the website CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com and help yourself to the audios which are there for free download. There's lots to choose from and hopefully it'll give you a head start on what runs the big system. Live under this big menagerie of, of stories and uh, tiers of bureaucracies and government departments and and supranational governments and so on. All these things, how they intertwine and how really you're, you're working towards and living towards uh, an agenda that was worked out over well over a hundred years ago in its structural form and actually implemented then too to bring a, about a global government uh, with a new type of system, not democratic by any means, but a system where the, the fittest, the, the better suited, as they say, the most intelligent will work on behalf of the big bankers and international money lenders, those who are already stinking rich, and basically bring in a new ordered society with a kind of socialist streak on it, a kind of communist, you might say, to run the people at the bottom, but really a fascist system on top, because they don't believe in democracy by any any mark at all, and we're going we're well under it actually, and. Uh, even the takedown of the U.S. was predicted by them. They, they work out things out like long-term business plans way in advance. And we're, honest, we're simply going through the stages now of the crashing of what were called first world countries. Well planned, thought out, and your countries were given away a long time ago as far as your economies were concerned with big treaties signed under the United Nations with the World Trade Organization and other U.N. affiliates. So... That's what it's really all about, and all the, the stuff you get in the papers today is just daily fluff, that's all it is, as they, as they never bring up the past, they never bring up uh, how this all came to be, they try to keep you stuck in the moment thinking, it's just happening in my lifetime, and it's just by happenstance and, and uh, circumstance that things are happening today. Nothing is further from the truth. Anyway, look into the website, do that, and remember transcripts are available from all the sites as well for print up of a lot of the talks I've given. And you can also purchase the books and discs I have for sale at CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. From the to Canada, you can still use a personal check. You can use an international postal money order. And you can use uh, straight cash. And remember, if you use the, the PayPal for donation, you can use also use that for purchasing. Just use the donation button and follow it with an email with a name, address, and order. And I'll get it out to you. And across the rest of the world, it's Western Union, MoneyGram, and... Uh, you've got PayPal again to donate or to purchase. Use the donation button and follow it with the email, name, address, and order. And you'll find out how to do it on cuttingthroughthematrix.com. So that's the key to all of this. You're living through a big business plan uh, run by private organizations, actually. You'd be surprised to find that most of the institutions that really work with governments are private organizations. Long before you heard the term public-private partnerships and so on, it's been like that for over a hundred years, well over a hundred years. And it's not really, uh, you find out that the biggest partner really is the private sector, not, not the public sector, but the private sector 
because uh, all these organizations that tell the governments what to do um, are privately owned, they're private. And they often call themselves non-political organizations, and they're telling the truth like the Council on Foreign Relations. They always preface their announcements by, this is not a, 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 a political organization. They're true, because, you see, they don't play politics. They simply uh, write down agendas, and it's a big, big difference from having the, to play the game of politics when you can simply write out where the world is to go, and here's how we're going to bring it there. And the chaos you see now with unemployment, which is going to get a lot worse, believe you me, uh, is nothing to what's to come, unfortunately. And I hate being the bearer of bad news, but that's just the way it is. It's all planned that way. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back and this is Cutting Through the Matrix and we've all heard about the greening projects and the sustainable communities from the wonderful United Nations, another private organization, and how it's going to affect all your lives, and already is in fact, uh, a lot more to come yet with taxes for everything, even for breathing, but lots, lots more is to come down the pike on this one. And of course, there's different projects being uh, started up under, again, this umbrella of the United Nations through NGOs big foundations and so on, to build sustainable communities. And they're all over the U.S. too. They don't know that communitarianism is already here. In fact, same in Canada, and uh, it's to get worse too. And the idea of these sustainable communities is for really for the, an upper middle class. Although they don't ever mention the classes much in their little PR outputs. Uh, but one, one is to do with San Francisco, and it's uh, called the part of the Green Belt Alliance. They're all over the U.S. now, and it's in Canada. Uh, and the, the Green Belt Alliance are, again, these non-governmental organizations that are helping design where humans will live. I guess if you don't live in them, you're subhuman or not human at all. I suppose they call you the poor. Anyway, they, they're already building them. I've mentioned the ones in Britain with Prince Charles spouting off how wonderful they are and so on for this new... Uh, kind of peasant-type village of middle-class servants, because that's what they really be, you see. Uh, I noticed even years ago in Canada, uh, in Ontario, that uh, most of the people buying houses in the country were buying uh, farms that were put under by the governments, and the ones who were buying them over were employees of the governments. They helped put the farmers under, and they would call them hobby farms, and they could afford to, to live in them and use them as houses and recreation and their walkabouts and stuff like that. No one else could afford them, you see. Plus, they get tax breaks for, for working for government and so on. And they also get mortgage breaks as well, of course. There's an awful lot you get with working for government. But it reminded me, too, of the old um, system of the Soviet Union, where the higher you went up on the ladder in the governmental structure, the, the, the more perks you got with uh, having your own little dash around the country and all your servants and everything else. But this ad here is from uh, San Francisco. I'll put a couple of these links up tonight on it. And this sounds wonderful, really. Is, is, what is a livable community? Imagine an attractive, pedestrian-orientated and easily acceptable neighborhood with houses close to shops, restaurants, workplaces, entertainment, and other activities. Now, you know it's not going to be the working class because they won't be able to afford houses uh, to go to shopping, uh, eat out, and stuff like that, see. 
There are parks and great public spaces. People have choices in the type of homes they provided, meaning your, your price range. And new housing meets a variety of income ranges. For many, it is possible to commute to work by train or bus. And that's true. Some will have um, special permits to drive because under Agenda 21 is to be essential vehicles only. That generally means free, uh, police, fire and ambulance and, and bureaucrats. So it gives you a list of the, some essential elements of the livable communities, towns and cities that are economically, environmentally and socially sustainable. And I won't read all the, the, the garbage on it. But basically, it's the same stuff as, I say, worldwide, because in the U.S. it's called Green Belt for, for uh, human corridors and sustainable development, and it's called other names for other countries. But it's on the go as we talk, and... Um, Big grants are handed out by governments to, to these folk who could already afford these houses, obviously. Uh, and, but you've got to be in the know to get them, the rights of class, you know. What do you do? I work for government. I'm a civil servant. Oh, well, we can help you out there. And, and that's how it works out, you see. So I put those links in tonight on it. And it's amazing, too, how each culture is, is catered to according to the culture and how they're trained. And every culture is trained. Folk don't like to believe that they're actually trained in a culture. But you see, for an awful long time, uh, we've, we've never really had a real culture. We've been trained to believe in flags and uh, systems and parties and all of that. And in Britain, it's always been the stiff upper lip and just grin and bear it kind of stuff. You know, that sadomasochistic type of training they used to give the children. And it says over 50s suffer a lifestyle crash. Millions less comfortable than a year ago, but stiff upper lip helps them keep positive. What rubbish. What rubbish. That's, that's to stop their jaws from quivering and then they start crying. You know, that's the reality of it. So it says 61% cut back on non-essential spending. Well, you see, this is what I've been talking about for years, the coming austerity. Because all your money will go on bare essentials. That's what that means. There's many ways to get it through without putting the word in for you. And this is how it's done. Just more than 60% of Britons over the age of 50 say the quality of lifestyle has crashed over the past year. An alarming report reveals today. It warns that millions of older people are, are being crippled by the combination of high cost of living, record gasoline prices, tax increases, and poor pay raises. The report from old age specialist Saga paints a bleak picture of ever-increasing financial burdens, forcing over 50 to make drastic cutbacks in their personal spendings. Then it goes on and on with a lot of more palaver, too, talking about how, how bad it is, etc., etc., etc. But really, it gets down to, again, that the fact is they have less disposable income. They can't, and they can't, uh, they've got no non-essential spending left. That's what it means. And that's where the U.S. is to go to. That's where they're being trained to go very quickly, in fact. And believe you me, uh, the economy and the cost of living in the U.S. has been kept artificially low. As long as they were fighting the wars and all the rest of it, uh, they had to keep it artificially low. And they've got a lot of catching up to do. And they also complain in this article about the value-added tax, which is called the, the GST in Canada, uh, and uh, how it's spread and keeps rising on everything that you purchase now. It's just out of sight. So I'll put this article up as well uh, to, to see how bad it is. And a new article too, the new era of green taxes, the climate change targets to cost every household 
an extra £500 a year. I guess that's on, on top of the, the £1,600 a year for, for the pensions for the EU bureaucrats and stuff like that and all the other things they have to pay for now, now that they, they belong to the wonderful Sovietized EU. It says, UK targets the toughest of any country in the world. And it says, uh, tough new climate change targets will cost every household Britain £500 a year. They'll usher in a new era of green taxes. What do you mean green taxes, eh? What do they mean by green taxes? Really, what is green? Tax is tax. Hmm? Plunder is plunder. With all the guises they put it under. It's in soaring fuel bills for millions of cash-strapped households. Energy Secretary Chris Hewn yesterday committed the UK to a legally binding 50% cut in greenhouse gas emissions by 2025. I guess they better hurry up and get into these sustainable communities where they can walk around and bicycle. And a move that will leave Britain £13.4 billion a year worse off. Why do people vote? I vote. I honestly am utterly at a loss to understand why people keep voting. Really, I really am at a loss. You know, they keep waiting for a saviour to come that they can vote into office. This just going to make, why would you vote for the same system that's used and abused you and crippled you and left you in the state you're in? Why would you have, because anybody who's put in front of you, any face that they put in front of you and vet before you see them or hear them, whether it's US, Canada, the US, or Britain, elsewhere, have all been vetted. They're standing for the system as it is with the same banking system running the show and debt money and borrowing from private banks when there's no need for any country to borrow at all. Why would they keep on voting? Eh? Anyway, so the targets are the toughest of any country in the world and will come at a huge price for Britain's struggling economy. What economy? What's the economy in Britain now? They're already dividing up the country into regions to be merged with other regions so that they can, in the future, have a, a generation growing up never taught there was an England, an Ireland, a Scotland, or a Wales. Mind you, that, that city of London will still be running the whole show. In contrast, the US pledged to cut greenhouse gas emissions by only 3%, while China, the world's biggest polluter, expects its carbon dioxide emissions to rise. Well, you see, under the World Trade Organization, the GATT Treaty, all the emerging nations, that includes India too and Brazil elsewhere, don't have to pay any, and they don't have to comply, they don't have to pay any emissions taxes for up to 25 years or so. And then they get it postponed for another 25 years if they so wish. These are the places to go, folks. Remember Jack Satali said that winners and losers in the coming New World Order. He said uh, the next boat people will be Americans leaving shores looking for work abroad. And that's already happening, by the way. There's lots of folk from abroad, from the U.S. and Britain and elsewhere and other countries across the planet now who managed to get out and who are, have got a better standard of living where they are now. Anyway, so critics say the plans could have only a minuscule impact on halting climate change. Well, there's no evidence to say it will change anything at all. It's it because more broke, which is actually the, the, the point of it all. They know it's, no, it's nothing to do with climate change. It was an excuse to tax you out of your lifestyles and bring on austerity and then you comply and move into cramped city areas for the majority of the public. They can't afford a little dash house in the country. Higher fuel bills, hitting the poorest, etc., etc. 
Announcement for the carbon budget limit on emissions comes after a better rift in the cabinet between Mr. Hewn and Chancellor George Osborne and Business Secretary Vince Cable, who claimed the targets would make the UK uncompetitive. No kidding. No, no, no. If people are frozen in the winter and expect thousands more this winter who can't use any oil because they're broke. How can you make anybody competitive? Anyway, that, that's austerity. It's all uh, techniques laid down a long time ago, step by step. And now we're going into the austerity phase now under a lot of BS about carbon and greening and all that rubbish. But any, any excuse will do. It's, it's like the king, I think it was King James, the first that uh, brought in the light taxes and it taxed you by the window and people bricked up their windows. And look, that's actually happened. Now it's the air, right? Back with more after this. Hi folks, we're back and we're cutting through the matrix. Remember Karl Marx talked about the trading blocks, how they'd amalgamate countries together and give them a super parliament under a world parliament eventually. And that meant the United Nations at the top and basically an EU structure for the European communities with their parliament too. And the American amalgamation too, which by the way is still going on. It's amazing how much they've already merged together. And apparently the Prime Minister in Canada is still having negotiations. I've signed a lot of documents recently with the U.S. To, for further integration of, with the U.S. and Mexico and other, even other countries too. But they keep it quiet from the papers here, but there's a lot of data has, has snuck out about it. But anyway, this article I'm going to read here is from Ceasefire. And I guess it's a leftist uh, magazine, but it's a, this is a leftist, leftist critique. And it starts off with Noam Chomsky who is a big enigma, because I've heard Chomsky before say a lot of right stuff and points out the, the very obvious, but he also has often said there's never been real socialism. I, well, what on earth is real socialism? Hmm? What is real socialism? People should really put that across as to what they mean by real socialism, because personally I think Jack C. Lull was far more to the point, more an objective about all systems, they all become corrupt. They all become corrupt. And those psychopathic types always raise to the top of any system. And you cannot keep it legitimate for very, very long, no matter how you start it off. And once you bring in central banking and borrowing and all the rest of it, they're all going to be corrupt. It's just one big gangster system at the top. So I'll skip the part about Noam Chomsky and uh, go on to how, what this author goes on to. And he gives the, the old stories, of course, of how they had to merge Europe together because it had all these wars. Well, they had all these wars since the Rothschild families took over about five countries and became the central bankers. We had perpetual war from then on, actually. And, and we all, this also misses out the fact, too, there was part of the, the deals during, during World War II with FDR and, uh, and then the ones who came after him, that was one of the criteria for the Lend-Lease projects to bail out the countries involved in the war, uh, was that they had to amalgamate Europe. People don't really realize that. It's an old plan because it dreamed up in World War I through the Royal Institute of International Affairs. They wanted it then. So anyway, he goes into 
um, integration and so on, and what they really mean by integration. It says, by integrating further and further with the gargantuan European Union structure, the British government has lost far more than its independence than is generally accepted or actively mentioned by the broadsheet press. It's easy to see why so many on the political left aren't too concerned with this. After all, if the government so utterly beholden to the interests of private corporations and capital as it is, doesn't represent us anyway, why should we care if it has any power or not? The answer often overlooked is that the alternative is even worse. The European Union is fundamentally and necessarily undemocratic. I've been saying that since before they actually legitimized it. I am of the belief that much uh, the same can be said of the British political system. However, the idea that the answer to the problem of underrepresentation at best at national level is the imposition of a supranational structure that does not answer to the people in any of its constituent countries is an absurdity that has eased itself unchallenged into a position of respectability. It's completely uh, non-democratic. The European Union is fundamentally undemocratic because at its inception the people in the countries whose governments opted in were not given a say in the matter. The same can be said of countries which have subsequently joined without first polling their citizens. The Union has been imposed from the top down. Since most nations have joined, the powers wielded by the EU have also been drastically expanded to such an extent that the comparatively benign trade facilitating economic union which existed when Britain joined has now been superseded by a virtual United States of Europe, I call it Soviet Union, paying lip service to political representation while actively discouraging and blocking it. That the institution is necessarily undemocratic is evidenced by the fact that, broadly speaking, wherever a European population has been able to vote for or against binding its own political institutions with those in Brussels, forced integration has been roundly rejected. As such, it is necessary for the people running the show to prevent people from voicing their opinions at the ballot box. If they were heeded, the outcome would be dissolution of the edifice as it currently exists. The British people were promised a referendum on the EU constitution by the previous Labour governments. However, as it became obvious that the chances of that being approved were minute, following crushing defeats in France and Holland, the ruling classes put their heads together, changed the name, moved a few words around, and rebranded it as the Lisbon Treaty. That's all right, then. No point in wasting people's time by letting them vote on something that isn't even a constitution. Former French President Valéry Giscard d'Estaing confirmed what many opponents of the Constitution and Treaty had long attempted to point out. He told an audience at the London School of Economics that the French electorate's rejection of the EU Constitution in the summer of 2005 had been a mistake which should be corrected. Commenting on how he and his kin planned to attain this correction, Giscard d'Estaing affirmed public opinion will be led Public opinion will be led to adopt, without knowing it, the proposals we dare not present to them directly. This approach of divide and ratify is clearly unacceptable. Perhaps it is good exercise in presentation, but it would confirm to European citizens the notion that European construction is a procedure organized behind their backs by lawyers and diplomats. That is precisely what transpired. So, he goes into that and how really... Through various back doors, they got the whole thing ratified. Lots of payoffs at the top, too, mind you. That, that's something they understand at the top, all those lovely psychopaths, as they tell us all we must live together quite happily. Uh, and they sit in the big fat paychecks. Back with more after this.
You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. We're back, cutting through the matrix. Every law that's ever been put on books generally is, is we live in such an Orwellian world, you see. Every law generally has a, a different intention than the sounding name that they give to it and the title they give to it. And once the law is on the books, it generally is put on the books. Again, it's almost like a stealth law. And we all sit back and yawn, thinking, well, what's the problem with that, you know? But really, it's got another intention, and it spreads. Like, they spread like cancer once you have them on the books. That's always the intention. And they go in a whole bunch of different areas, you see. And here's one, too. We know that the Internet's going down, and it's, that life is going to be very short now. And people will still stay on it. This is what they, they knew. They keep lots of porn and that stuff, the entertainment on it, for people to keep watching it. So they know how the people work through psychology. Anyway, it says those who illegally stri- uh, stream live video or audio over the Internet could face up to five years in prison under legislation recently introduced into the U.S. Senate. Ars Technica reported that Senators Amy Klobuchar, uh, John Cornyn, and Christopher Coons proposed a bill last week that would make illegal streaming of copyrighted content a felony. Under current law, copyright infringement already carries felony, uh, felony penalties, but questions have been raised about whether broadcasting audio or video live over the Internet could be considered the unauthorized distribution of copyrighted works. Streaming content has been considered a public performance rather than distribution. Two months ago, a report published by the White House's Office of the U.S. Intellectual Property Enforcement Coordinator urged Congress to make illegal streaming of content a felony and allow for law enforcement to wiretap those suspected of being involved in copyright infringement. The report calls on Congress to ensure that the Department of Justice and U.S. law enforcement agencies are able to effectively combat infringement involving new technology by clarifying that streaming unauthorized audio or video is a felony. It appears Klobuchar, Cornyn and Coons followed the White House's legislative recommendations. Their bill would make showing 10 or more public performances by electronic means in any 180-day period a felony if the total retail value of those performances tops $2,500 or the cost of licensing such performances is greater than $5,000. It's high time that the punishment fit the crime, they say. Illegal streaming of stolen content is growing and poses a threat to the profitability of movie theaters and to the jobs of her 160,000 employees in the U.S., said John Fithian, President and CEO of National Association of Theatre Owners, in a statement. He thanked Senators Klobuchar and Cornyn and recommended bipartisan support for the passage of this important legislation. So, piece by piece, um, this great, wonderful tool is being chopped away as you use them. I've mentioned before about John Anthony Hill, who was locked up by the British uh, because he basically did an excellent video on 7-7 and pointed out all the incredible things that didn't mesh up with the official report. And he said that the the guys they eventually killed, um, that that they claimed were the terrorists, were actually part of, uh, which was an advertised a practice for bombs going off in those exact areas that day. 
that's a fact. They were advertising the newspapers. Over a thousand people uh, volunteered to take part in it. And bingo, on that very day, in those, in those exact places, the bombs go off. But he pointed out all the inconsistencies in the official report. Britain had to get something happening, just like that something was needed for 9-11, a Pearl Harbor event, to, in order to uh, go into full uh, black-clad clothing, machine-gun-type scenarios and uh, and get you all under a wartime type scenario. That's a whole thing, you see, wartime scenario. We heard all that stuff he'd mentioned before it all happened. Even the Green Party's saying it was far better under a warfare scenario like World War II because people became more austere and they obeyed government better, etc., etc., etc. And they ate less and they got along and, you know, obedience. So suppressed news, false flag whistleblower acquitted in Britain. I mentioned this before, but this is another article on him. Britain's largest terror attack likely was done by Mossad, an MI5 operation. And it says... Um, the story has been censored from the American media. Few Americans know of or, of or remember the British 9-11. This is from Veterans Today, by the way. Fewer are still are aware of the powerful legal case that's been made showing full government complicity in the planning and execution of the attack and the extent of the British government has gone to in order to suppress information about one of the worst-kept secrets in history. The film Ripple Effect considered a threat to British security. No kidding, a film, you make a film, and it's a threat to British security. Like one of the most incomprehensible criminal cases in recent years. On May 7, 2005, Britain suffered its largest terror attack, what they called 7-7, which was their 9-11. However, a wealth of evidence, much incontrovertible, has shown that these terror attacks to have been something else. False flag terror meant to support the Blair government policy of continuing and even expanding its participation in the global war on terror. The four Muslim suicide bombers, once believed responsible for the incident, are now believed to have been recruited as part of a well-documented, and it's well-documented, mock terror drill scheduled for that day that included 1,000 participants, some of them paid actors hired to carry dummy explosives. It's the opinion of Sheffield University's social sciences professor Ridley Duff that Mr. Hill's ripple effects narratives of what happened on that day is more plausible and better fits the facts than did the BBC's 7-7 Conspiracy Files program. His well-referenced study focused very much on what happened at Canary Wharf on that morning, seeing the ripple effect whereby the young alleged bombers had been inveigled into a terror drill that morning, then fled to Canary Wharf where they were shot. In other words, they were not just patsies, they were really fall guys, you see. They thought they were volunteering, I'm sure. This is the new third edition of, of the book, uh, Terror on the Tube, endorses this view. And it says, as part of what has been called the continuing cover-up of 7-7, Britain reached across international borders and extradited a journalist, the guy who made the, this movie, attempting to impose a 20-year sentence for an alleged infraction of British law that had happened in another country. In, in doing so, Britain has claimed the right to censor any and all communication, print, video, and Internet in any country around the world that agrees, supports uh, extradition under these circumstances. One nation complied, and that was Ireland, where they arrested him. After 151 days in dismal Wandsworth prison, much of it in solitary confinement, John Anthony Hill is finally free. The crime he was accused of was the mailing of a 7-7 truther DVD from Ireland to the United Kingdom. Yes, you're hearing me right. He was extradited from Ireland for sending a copy of the film Ripple Effect, which outlines complicity by the Blair government in terror attacks that killed 56 back, 
56 people back in 2005, including four suicide, suicide in quotation mark bombers, now believed by many to have been murdered in a bizarre plot. More frightening still is the idea that mailing a DVD available worldwide on YouTube to anyone could be considered perverting the course of justice. And as his uh, Kellerstrom's website, Terror on the Tube, describes, describes the trial and the acquittal. He uh, calls himself Maud Dib, I don't know why, but anyway, as his, um, uh, I'll say John Hill, his trial started Monday the 9th of May with a challenge to the monarchy and hence the authority of the court. This was ruled out of order by the judge. On Tuesday, a jury was sworn in. On Wednesday, they watched all of his film, The Ripple Effect, in open court. Over the Tuesday and Wednesday, the, the jury heard in-depth discussions of both 7-7 and 9-11, with Mr. Hill laying out clearly and at his own leisurely pace under cross-examination the reasons he believes that both his attacks by terrorists were in fact false flag attacks by agencies of the state against its own people, carried out with the purpose of providing a pretext for invasion of, of innocent countries in the Middle East in order to control their natural resources. This was surely the first ever fully explored set of such allegations of false flag terror made against any state before an ordinary collection of the citizens of that state. It's also clear from the verdict that when such information is placed before such ordinary citizens, the majority of them get it. The jury had announced that it could not be unanimous, so the judge allowed, allowed a minority verdict. That's ten or more of the twelve. He, Hill was found not guilty, not because his actions were considered illegal, but rather because his testimony made a powerful case against the British government. The jury was pressed to convict Hill by the judge, of course, but refused. The ten members who sided with Hill and refused instructions of the Crown did so out of utter shock at the powerful case Hill made, demonstrating that not, not only 7-7 was an inside job, but 9-11 was as well. Hill took on both attacks and 10 of 12 jury members sided with what has been often called conspiracy theory. And it's got all a whole bunch of videos on this site, so I'll give you the links and I'll put them up at uh, cuttingthroughthematrix.com at the end of the broadcast. And it's well worth going through because uh, he really did an excellent job on showing the trains that weren't running that day even. In regards to the fact they weren't even running, the terrorists were supposed to onboard them and stuff like that. It's just astonishing. But that's what they can do to you now when you go against, you know, Her Majesty's government. And it still is Her Majesty's government, believe you me. They all swear allegiance to it and not the people. Now, in the States too, you can see as the panic drives up, as you try to keep a hold of a country going way down the hill, plummeting through massive debt, and, and, and being de-industrialized through the World Trade Organization, uh, signed into uh, by their own presidents, by the way, who sold them down the river, uh, that they're, they're really lashing out at anyone criticizing the government at all, especially uh, their... Uh, it's an amazing thing the Americans have got, because it was discussed by the, the fathers of the, the Federation and the U.S. if they should have a king or should they have a, a, a different kind of government? And part of the reason they discussed the king was that the people were so used to it, and they also knew that people love to worship a human being. And people don't know it in the States, too. They even sent an envoy over to, to France, then Italy, looking for Prince Charles, who had been the survivor of the, uh, the last big battle in Scotland against London's guys. 
and um, and they approached him to become king. And he didn't want it. But uh, so they went ahead with the, this, this form of government. But it doesn't matter because of the, throughout the whole 20th century into this century, the U.S., through its massive propaganda machine too, mind you, uh, paints uh, the president and the first lady up to be a king and a queen. It's the same kind of stuff. They walk on water. They're holier than thou. They don't go to bathrooms or do any nasty stuff like that. And that's what people love, love to worship. But uh, they go on and on about it. Anyway, when he's under attack, the guy at the top, just like the Queen, for instance, uh, they do come down on you. It says, White House threatens Boston Herald's press access for not being favorable enough to Obama. And it says that the Barack Obama White House rewards its friends and punishes its enemies. News outlets would be wise to ensure that they don't fall into the latter category. This is the message that Obama campaign tried to send in 2008 when it, uh, it uh, sicked his campaign activists on talk radio shows that dared to give voice to Obama's critics. It was the message of the White House that the White House sent with its assault of the Fox News Channel, and now it's the message that the administration is sending by reportedly threatening to bar Boston Herald's reporters from full access to the presidential events simply because the White House does not approve of the paper's editorial judgment. The Herald gave former Massachusetts governor and GOP presidential contender Mitt Romney front-page op-ed space in March, bumping off a story about a presidential visit to Boston that the White House claimed signaled that the paper is not fair or objective in its coverage. Hence, the Herald would be barred from pool duty on presidential visits, a White House spokesman implied. And... Since the White House press office has refused to give the Boston Herald the full access to the presidential fundraiser today as well, and emails objecting to the newspaper's front place, uh, placement of Mitt Romney op-ed, saying a pool of reporters had chosen or were chosen based on where they covered the news fairly. So unless you give glowing reports on Obama, you're just not going to get in on the little circus. Not that I would care personally, because it's all it's all PR shots and the read scripts and stuff. It's all done by us. Personally, I just like to do away with presidents, prime ministers. And we can have the script, the script writers on. They do all the work. Uh, they're the guys that are really in the know of what's to, what's to be said to the public. These are the guys that are trained by in mass psychology and marketing and how the masses work and how our minds work. And we could get a, a form of Oscars every year for the best ones. They write the best scripts. And we save you the cost of presidents and prime ministers. That's what we should really do. Because we're living in a complete joke. I hope you understand. It's a joke. It's a sick joke, but it's still a joke. That's what democracy is. So I'll put that link up as well. And also, this article here is from Market Watch. It says, Strauss can. It says, here's the real IMF scandal. And it's nothing to do with him. Forget, forget him. They'll just find another uh, monkey on steroids, you know, to, psychopathic to replace him with. Anyway, it doesn't matter. It, it gives you... Uh, basically what the IMF's involvement in the world crash was. The same organization that wants to get into every country's books and start doing, be the official bookkeepers for every nation, by the way, under this world system they've helped to manage and bring in, and how they helped actually bring on the big financial crash that we're all suffering through right now. I'll put this up, and also on it there's a PDF uh, where their own organization under uh, the IMF, going over its own stuff, uh, lambasts the organization for doing all the stuff I'm just talking about, bringing on the financial crisis. So 
It's got links to it, uh, to what happened, uh, who did what, and and what they should have done, what they didn't do, and what they actually did do. Uh, That's all on that as well. But it's just disgusting. Uh, uh, The system we live in, as I say, it's a joke. To be honest with you, I couldn't be a reporter in major mainstream because I couldn't go along with it. I couldn't go, I don't care about the paycheck, I couldn't go along with it. The problem in this system, you see, we're trained, very, very cleverly trained, again, through psychology, you've got to go through Gatto's books and all the other books put out there on how, what education is meant to bring in to society, a, a, a wonderful, obedient, uh, brainless class of citizenry that serve the system. That's what it's for. Making sure they get all the right political correct values brainwashed into them. But not to think for themselves. It's taboo going through college and university to think for yourself. You play a, a game, everyone knows you're playing a game when you have to parrot what the professor says. Everyone, everyone prostitutes themselves going through this system. And then if we get into the wider world in professionalism of journalism and all that, they're all prostitutes too. They know damn well. Every single one of them, they're a prostitute for a paycheck. And people become their jobs. They become their jobs, literally. From the executioner or the guy that's sent across the world to slaughter people, I'm just doing my job. This is what I do. I'm a soldier, really? Really? You were born saying, I am a soldier? I don't think so. And no journalist could possibly keep their job if they were ever, ever to write the darn truth. And they all know it. Utter prostitutes. I'll be back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back and we're cutting through the matrix Just talking about the pimps and prostitutes that people become when they get a paycheck They'll do anything for a paycheck And it's true what they said during the Civil War in New York Where the, the mayor said at Tammany Hall he, says, he said, you can always hire half the poor to kill the other half It's unfortunately darn, darn true And everyone puts a uniform on too will do the same thing He doesn't care who he's killing He just does what he spots my job, you know and everyone says the same thing. All the bureaucrats say the same thing too, with that, you know, neutral face that they learn to put on. Everyone's a pimp and a prostitute in a corrupt system, and they darn well know it. Darn well. And really, the people who go along with it and get caught up in it with the media just astound me too. They can't even be real to themselves. You can't be real to yourself. You can't be real to the public on anything. Just pimps and prostitutes. As I mentioned before, too, you cannot create any any, uh, governmental agency, any type at all, even local government agency, that that eventually doesn't expand like a cancer. Because once you get a few together, you see, they say, well, we better start justifying our job here and and find new reasons for us to exist. And then make make them understand above us that we're vitally important. And so they just hire cops like cancers who are all over the streets or they're all over the roads or collecting tickets or whatever they're doing because they've got to make new kinds of crime all the time to justify their job. 
And then once countries get scared, you see, when they know it's kind of going down, they become more severe. That's when they really start bashing their own people for all kinds of things. And this article here, too, I'm sure you've all heard about the Tacoma 7th grader faces a federal interrogation at school for what he posted on a Facebook page. His mum saw it happen and because she was standing nearby eventually when she came in and saw him get interrogated. He says here, Robson said she had just finished lunch with a friend Friday when she got a phone call from her son's school. I answered it, and the school security guard, who is giving me a heads up that the Secret Service is here with the Tacoma Police Department, then we'll have Vito, and they're talking to him. That's her son. After Osama Ben Laden was killed, 30-year-old Vito uh, Lapinta posted an update to his Facebook status that got the, the Fed's attention. The, the Feds are so worried about children and what they're saying. It's, it's like a cancer that spread. And they've got, to, they've got to show how vital they are for security so they can hire more guys and stuff. The bigger the numbers, each department feels safer. The bigger the numbers they've got, the more staff they have. As I was saying how Osama was dead and for Obama to be careful because there could be suicide bombers, said La Pinta. Now, all he's doing is parroting mainstream news because that's what was all over mainstream. Red alert, red alert, red alert. Everybody be terrified, terrified, you know. Uh, and that's, see, he was parroting mainstream news, right? A week later, while Vito was in the fourth period class, he was called into the principal's office. A man walked in with a suit and glasses and said he was part of the Secret Service. Lapinta said, he told me it was because of a post I made that indicated I was, I was a threat towards the president. They can't even rewrite these guys, these morons. The Tacoma School District acknowledged the Secret Service agent questioned Viso and that it was a security guard who called Vito's mum because the principal was on another call. The school district said they didn't wait for Vito's mother to get there because they thought she didn't take the phone call seriously. Well, who would, eh? Anyway, and that's what Brayton Lye Robertson said. The teen's mum said she rushed to the, to the Truman Middle School immediately and arrived to discover her son had already been questioned for half an hour. And then she said, I just about lost it, she said. My 13-year-old son is supposed to be safe and secure in his classroom and he's been interrogated without my knowledge or consent privately. Uh, you're lucky he didn't, they didn't waterboard him as well. Because that is what you all, all, everybody in the U.S. are allowing the U.S. to become. And they'll work around to you one day, every single one of you. From Hamish Massel from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me. Your God or your God school with you.